Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include extreme body horror, like extreme body horror, forced pregnancy, nightmarish depiction of abortion, dissolving of living human skin and bone, gaslighting, a depiction of an abusive working relationship, prolific gore, and extreme animal cruelty. And our hosts rank this movie as... If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about another film in our Cronember. We're still working on that. Cronember. Uh, Cronember mm. catalog. With that one makes of the it most... sound like we're doing movies about crows. Right? Yeah, <laughs> there's so many, so many crows. That's what we'll have to do for Crowvember next year is, is take up yeah. the crow. Tonight, we're talking about one of Cronenberg's most beloved and esteemed films. It's The Fly. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Feeling a little robbed we didn't get a movie about a housefly slowly transforming into a tiny Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, help me. Help me? The sentiment roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm remembering how much of this movie I have, I've forgotten. Because <laughs> there's so much of this movie that I remember, and then I just forget the rest because it just is too problematic for me. And our guests tonight, they are a fellow writer, critic, and podcaster. You can hear them on their own podcast, Graphic Policy, and Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast, Deep Space Dive. It's Alana Levin. Alana, how are you? I am so ready to be here and spend my spooky film critic moment with the show you have a great lineup going and i basically insinuated myself i was like screw doing a cronenberg thing and then you offered me two movies that i didn't particularly want to see by him and here we are today and i was like is it he's so he has so many films that that's a possible thing that you could be like oh i love cronenberg and they'd be like i don't really do want to do that one or that one but here we are nonetheless <laughs> that's what i, I think the fly for you and that's a Aww. you know so, if that ain't friendship get- I mean, like, I, I know that this is never going to be an M Butterfly podcast, you know, nor, nor would I be the guest you would have for that, per se, on account of my extreme levels of whiteness. But if there were the time to come. You go in if we do Naked Lunch. Oh, pl- no, I am so re- If you do Naked please. Lunch, <laughs> please. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for us to do Naked Lunch, but if we do. You know. But that's what I mean, though, right? Like, there's all these yeah. movies that are just not quite in the horror lane that I'm like, yeah. And then it's like, oh, actually, no. I I have seen Videodrome twice recently, and I still love it. I really want to rewatch Crash and Existence, and I was like so hoping that I'd have the effort. I mean, this is, this October isn't a particularly Crash month, but maybe Existence. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Of course, it was going to be a horror movie, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, huh? Huh? If you haven't seen Crimes of the Future yet, we we did that last week. It's very 
existenzi. Uh, it is it is so Cronenberg. So I, Cronenberg. Liked I liked it more than The Fly. <laughs> I liked it less. Uh, ah. I think I was more into this movie when it was like plucky underdog scientist like romantic comedy. I'll go ahead and uh, I drew the short straw this week, so I'm going to try and recap The Fly as quickly as possible here. Uh, the basics of this, it is directed by David Cronenberg, as we said. It is uh, based on a short story written by George Langelan, uh, a screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg. And it stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, John Getz, and not too many other people. There's very few people in this cast. We begin with Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, talking about how he's working on what he's working on is a night that's going to change the world. Like we jump right into this. Uh, he immediately uses this research as an excuse to get science journalist Veronica, who's played by Gina Davis, back to his grungy warehouse lab. Uh, and he sells the hell out of it. She actually goes. He shows Veronica his telepods, uh, which she makes fun of for looking like new age phone booths until he demonstrates that they can teleport her stocking across the room between two pods. She wants to report on it. Seth does not want her to because he doesn't feel like it's ready for prime time yet. He can't teleport people in it yet. Her boss, Staffus, played by John Getz, doesn't believe any of this. Thinks uh, he's conning her. Won't publish it. Also, we'll get into this, but Staffus is the worst person. Seth takes mm -hmm. Veronica out for a cheeseburger and convinces her to not report on it in exchange for giving her unlimited access to write a book once he is able to teleport himself across the room. We learn that Staffus and Veronica used to be an item when he shows up to shower at her apartment unannounced. Brundle uh, tries to use his pod on a uh, on a baboon and turns it inside out. Everybody seemed weirdly okay with this other than like conceptually. They're like, oh no, and then that's about it. Here's where we get the real Cronenbergy stuff as we start talking about how he doesn't know enough about the flesh to make the teleporting of living things work. It goes from really sciencey to like the flesh is the thing. Rundle reveals he doesn't always wear the same outfit, just one of different identical ones. Uh, and because she is a female journalist in a movie, this, of course, turns Veronica on and she immediately starts sleeping with her subject 23 minutes into the film. He then feeds her a teleporter steak, which is bad because the flesh. The flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Steph is, is taken to stalking Veronica. It's unclear whether he's more upset about the fact that uh, he's screwing him as an editor or the fact that she's fucking Brundle. Uh, Brundle finally manages not to inside out a baboon. So they decide to order Chinese food romantically. But Stathis has sent her a cover mock-up about Brundle and his, his story, which she has already said she wasn't going to publish. Stathis and Veronica butt heads about it. It turns out he's just doing it to be creepy. So it's fine until he asks her for sex. And then that's not fine. I, I hate this guy. Our boy, uh, Brundle is not much better, though. He's getting drunk about his girlfriend maybe seeing her ex. Uh, and he started talking to this one living baboon, which leads him to decide it's cool to drunk teleport. And he doesn't notice that there's a fly in there with him. Oh, no, he's bad at life and science. Oh, cool. Stathis was also her journalism professor before they started dating. Good to know that, too. Now, Brundle uh, has merged with this fly and has all the powers that a fly has, like weird hairs and catching other flies and buying jewelry, needing too much sugar, hyperactivity, yelling at weight staff, Olympic level gymnastics, Olymp Olympic level <laughs> lovemaking, really filling out briefs. You know, <laughs> this is just making me rethink my disgust for flies, actually. But that's going to go <laughs> right back out the door. Uh, <laughs> he thinks uh, he's become superhuman and wants her to teleport through now, too. 
uh, because he doesn't realize he's been fused with fly. So they can be superhuman together. As soon as she doesn't want to, he decides he's going to go out and find him another lady to do that. Uh, he goes looking for a girl at a bar, at the bar from Near Dark, uh, where he wins. He wins a woman named Tawny by breaking a man's arm in an arm wrestling match. Uh, he carries her up lots of stairs to his lab, has weird sex with her, presumably, and makes her watch him teleport before trying to get her to do it herself. She's not into it, and he tries to force her, but Veronica shows up to tell him that the hairs on his back uh, she got them analyzed, and they're not human. They're insect hairs. Seth is also getting hairier. His face is breaking out. He's uh, beating up walls for no reason and being generally irrational. Brundle finally looks in a mirror and immediately decides to start pulling off fingernails and squirting goo out of his fingers. <laughs> he finally goes back and looks at the logs of the teleportation, which he hasn't ever done, and realizes that the computer fused him with a fly. Oops. Seth then waits four weeks to ask for help, which is the dudest thing he will do in this whole movie. He's like, oops, used with a fly. And then for four weeks, just tries to, I guess, handle it himself, but there's no evidence that he does anything in between there, but just started to turn into a fly. By the time Veronica goes to see him, his ear falls off and he's puking up digestive enzyme, enzymes. Uh, he refuses to get medical intervention, but wants her to help him somehow. Unclear. Mm -hmm. He seeks out advice. From the worst person in the world, Stathis, again. And he's like, he's got no good advice except for, I guess, let me see. I don't want to go there, but could you tape it? By the time she comes back again, Brundle is manic, literally climbing the walls and talking about how the disease has revealed his purpose in making him Brundle fly. He's eating by digestive enzymes now. Cool. Veronica also is, discovers that she's pregnant with Seth's baby. Not cool. Uh, she goes to Dr. Cronenberg and delivers a giant maggot. Super not cool, except it's a dream. Meanwhile, Brundlefly is trying to figure out how to minimize how much fly is in him. His shit is getting unfortunate looking and things are continuing to fall off. His computer, which is a bad idea computer, I'm sure, like, that's the whole point of this computer is to have bad ideas says that he should fuse with another pure human to make himself less fly. Despite the fact that it has all the records of like how it put them together, and it feels like they could pull it apart. I don't know. Well, what that's what he gets for making that computer horny. Then the computer decides it doesn't recognize his voice anymore as his teeth start falling out like chiclets. He gives his seat a lecture about the relics of the bygone era before putting them in the cupboard of lost body parts, along with his ear and everything else that's fallen off of him. Veronica decides to go see Brundle before getting an abortion, which is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And he gives a speech about how she shouldn't come back. Uh, he says, I'm saying that I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. I'll hurt you if you stay. He also talks about how he wants to be the first insect politician, but he feels like that's unlikely to happen because insects are intense and horrible, I guess. Rude. And that does it for her. It's abortion time. But Brundlefly overhears her talking about this and crashes through the clinic window and carries her away. Stathis chases back to the lab, bringing his gun, which is definitely for big game hunting, only to get his hand and foot melted off by digestive enzymes. As Brundle watches, seemingly curiously more than furious, he just is excited about melting his hand. Veronica gets him to leave Stathis alone by agreeing to help him, not realizing this means fusing with him, fusing him, her, and the baby to make question mark. Uh, she tries to stop him from doing that, but his jaw comes off in her hand, and uh, then he hurls her into the telepod before rudely turning his knees backwards and losing most of his face. Brundleflight gets in the second telepod, but Stathis does the smartest thing I've ever seen 
in a sci-fi horror movie. He shoots the connectors of the machine between the te- between her telepod and the rest of the machine rather than trying to kill him or break the pod or whatever. He's just like, ah, wires. I can break those and shoots it, disconnecting her. Brundlefly tries to get out to attack them, but the telepod fires with him halfway out and he gets fused with pieces of the telepod and falls out of the third telepod in what was the funniest moment of this movie to me. I know it's like so supposed to be super serious. But the way he sort of clunks out of this telepod is the funniest shit to me. He is then begging her to mercy kill him. She really wants to not, but he is like, no, put the gun right here on my head. That's where you should shoot me. Finally, she goes ahead and kills him. And the movie is over. Presumably, she then immediately goes to an abortion clinic. But we do not see that part. Uh, the end. Yeah, that they didn't have a post-credits abortion scene. Oh, God. Before I could finish watching the movie, I like literally had to message her. I mean, like, please tell me that she's able to get an abortion. And his answer of like, I don't see why she wouldn't have after the credits rolled. It was like that. was I needed that confirmation from him in order to complete watching the movie. Like that was enough for me to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit where he's trying to convince her not to have the abortion. Like after he pulls her out, comes through the window and pulls her out of the fucking clinic. And he's all like flied out. He's like Brundle flied and he's mostly like flesh. The flesh. And he's like, please have the baby. And she's like, no. And he's it's like, amazing. That's too bad. And it's it comes off really wild because I'm like, you shouldn't have to say like, oh, he's deformed or oh, he's part fly or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want a baby. That's sort of the, you know, autonomy thing, which is such a hot issue right now. I don't blame that doctor for having questions about why he's been dragged out for a 1 in the a.m. in the morning abortion, though. I mean, yeah, but also, like, it also depends on... To be on fair, the-, the answer of it's deformed is also not an acceptable answer. <laughs> no, like, no. Like, the baby will still... Well, no, here's the thing. Do it in the morning. saying... Well, the way she says that, it's very clear to me that she's talking about disgust. And that it's not, this isn't like an ableism disgust. This is the disgust of being pregnant against your will. Yeah. And like, if we all had the ability to like drag medical professionals out of their office to terminate pregnancies, the second we become aware of them, like that would be a great feeling. You know, like I respect workers needs to like sleep and eat sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But like if we could reduce the duration between which knowing that you're pregnant and being able to make that thing be over, that would be great. I'd be a really strong feeling I have about this movie. I want to be clear because, you know, I saw, you know, I was complaining about watching it before. I think this is a very effective movie to help people who can't be pregnant understand the horror of being pregnant. So I recommend people who can't get pregnant watch this movie. I feel like it, you know, like every single piece of this, including Jeff Goldblum's experience, having your body transform without your consent because you did something a little bit manic. Yeah. That's like, hey, welcome to like being able to get pregnant 101. (laughs) Or forced and coerced through shaming. Yeah. Like there's a lot of consent issues going on in this movie. And it's, you know, some of it is literally about sex (laughs) and some of it is literally about a body autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of skip a little bit ahead, I just want to say right now, I'll go on record and say, didn't need to be there. Like we could have had the same discussion without the literal, be like the literal issue of abortion and pregnancy, because that's a 
I don't know. I mean, with everything going on, and I know this movie's from the 80s, I appreciated its strong pro-choice message. I just, I don't have the emotional whatever to deal with this right now, but like all of the people who can't get pregnant should go watch it about this so they can see this person talk about how much they want an abortion and hopefully understand that feeling like in some way. It's the the humanizing element. Like there's the element of the trope of the evil baby the the problem that I have with that being in this movie is that it is not about that. Like, that's a side plot, mm. you know? And, like, this movie is based on a story about a scientist that fucks up because he, like, plays God or whatever. I don't know. Oh, he yeah. doesn't play God. He's just a wildly irresponsible scientist. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. he's playing God. He's a wildly irresponsible scientist. Those, those men. But, mm-hmm. you know, but the... the father, release a paper. Put out a patent, you fucking asshole. Yeah, well, everybody. Oh, my dream is not. I I can't let people know. I can only transport like non living matter. I know that's as a if that's not gonna fucking right. I know. I was, him. I was like, dude, that's a fucking miracle. Just like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Real <laughs> science. What it is, dude. Real scientists have right, right now. Fucking the eighties, like. And yeah, I know. Go for that technology. Like yeah. real scientists teleported a particle, and they didn't shut up about it. I mean, good for and good for them. They shouldn't shut up about it because that's like a fucking amazing. In fact, we should hear more about it because people need to. Yes, know they teleported a particle. That's yeah. incredible. That is incredible. it's amazing. We even know what particles are. Yeah. <laughs> so again, biggest problem in this movie for everybody is that they're horny. Like that is where a lot of mm-hmm. these problems start. They don't know how to be responsibly horny. And I'm not talking about sex or penetration. I'm talking about the literal penetration. You're talking about the plasma pool. Which is about sex. Like, come on, Jeff Goldblum. You could be like, oh, yeah, we're just about the penetration of the veil. That scene. And I'm like, take a shot every time Jeff Goldblum says plasma pool. Or flesh. Mm. And talk about bad decisions. It's a it's a it's a credit movie. So it's going to talk about those specific things, you know. One of the things that I love about David Cronenberg is that he understands on a deep level how terrifying and disgusting pregnancy is. And he is so lucky that he can't get pregnant. I feel like he and I get each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, I agree. It's just that bad, except it can happen to me. It's just that fucking bad. And like, I had to have an ectopic fucking pregnancy dealt with. Like, can you imagine? So it's sort of like I, I always have like related to the same sort of like disgust and revulsion before I even had to have that happen, even because it's just yeah. like writing was in there. Like I didn't need to experience that f- frustrating experience, you know, but like it, it's just always was like reasons I and I was like, wow, like he totally gets me. He's awfully lucky that he doesn't have to actually deal with this. But, it, you know, I feel like it makes you feel seen in a certain way, you know, that like people like are not trying to say that this is like natural and wonderful and like comfortable and like actually understand it as, as horror. And I think it's great to have, you know, have abortions in movies all the time. Like, please. I was a little bit like, I mean, when it turned out it was a dream in which she was dealing with this without being sedated. Look, in the history of mankind, all kinds of things happen. But generally speaking, when you have an abortion, you're sedated. A lot of people don't know this. So having her like get an abortion awake was a little bit like, I really hope people don't think that that's what's going to happen to them. That would have been a hell um, of an inception, just like going under in your dream. Oh my God. Well, like, yeah. well, so then, you know, then it's a dream. And of course, in your fever dream, in your, in your, in your nightmare, that is totally the kind of thing that happens. Correct. But yeah, like, information he, is always but like he gets, good. 
yeah. he he gets how serious this is. Like he gets how horrific it is. And so that body horror, like, isn't it isn't just about Jeff Goldblum's body being out of control, metamorphosizing and changing, which as you said, is in and of itself is enough of a pregnancy horror to, to cover yeah. the bases, you know. Yeah. But like the added level of like, and then also talking about the way it actually impacts like people and who like are alive in the world, like. That there's a lot there. It just is hard for me to watch right now with the like traumas and shit that I experienced. That's all. I, I will say for this horror movie, the thing that made me scream at this green the loudest was seeing mm. how much money is apparently in freelance science journalism. <laughs> I know that was a nice apartment. When they yeah. show up at that office, like Stathis is holding, I was like, don't you know who I am? I'm the editor of Particle Magazine. Look oh, oh. at my swanky ass office. I thought you meant her apartment. Her apartment and, was and her, her apartment. apartment was nice. Both, yeah. both. Yeah. The yeah. amount of money in science journalism in the 80s. Astounding. I think they were saving money um, because there was an editor and one journalist on that staff. <laughs> but anyway. Lance, I guess. He had I'm, a vanity plate that said Particle. Yeah, I, I was going to say like I... Going off of what Alana was talking about, I feel like Cronenberg has some very strange and complicated relationship with women in his movies generally. But part of it is like he does seem to have a horror about the female body. And it is like well, it's not to be it's not the female. I mean, he views it as the female body. I think it's important for us to not to not call it that per se. Yeah, well, I I think for him it is that's how he's seeing it. But I think it's mm -hmm. important that for him it is a sympathetic fear, a sympathetic yes, horror. Exactly. Yeah. He's not just like, oh, fucking kill them, get them out of here. Like I hate women. No, it's like, right. like no, that's really fucked up. What happens when you have a baby? Holy shit! Yeah, exactly. Oh. He internalized all that horror story. Like, yeah, he, he's a cis man who right. understands how good he has it. Like deeply yeah he's yeah, like I, thank fucking god <laughs> i think like really want to give it up for gina davis and jeff goldblum as the leads like they're both great no, well, they're the, and it's also important to note that the most normal logical sympathetic empathetic person in this movie is gina davis she mm -hmm. is between two monsters one is a literal monster and becomes a literal monster because he fused himself with a fucking fly ah you know? damn it i was i was gonna say and the other one was a fly man yeah <laughs> right well a staff is yeah. just a fucking horrible person so yeah, like, like the the charts you had their relationship throughout this movie it's like oh so they met when she was in journalism school well, he was a professor and they got together and then i guess he hired her on freelance to her magazine it does magazine while they were still fucking and then like he just has a key to her house, even though they're not together anymore, and just shows mm -hmm. up for things like taking a shower and asking for casual sex. And I was like, man, like, that this guy ends up being sort of the hero of the movie is wild. Yeah, like that words. unforgettable motherfucker. He's like, I mean, at least, like, does I, not I, make it out of the movie in one piece. No, he doesn't. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, well, he, at least he's, he, he lost a hand and a foot, and hopefully he gained some perspective there's, but there's a whole part of him that i feel like in a different I, movie he would be like i had to shoot the cords you wouldn't be hot anymore <laughs> yeah yeah he was such a fucking cartoon so bad guy also like, everybody in this movie has game of thrones names like seth brundle 
Seth Brundle and Seth is Baran's. That is such. You're right. That's such a fucking Game of Thrones names. Like Lord Stafford and House Baran's. Uh, Tawny, Tawny has done dirty. Okay, maybe not so much Tawny. Well, Tawny, Tawny, like I mean, you can, I could see Tawny being this a Game of Thrones. a great race. time with Tawny, though. Oh yeah. Well. Oh yeah. Everyone seems to have a great time with the characters. Like. Oh yeah. Like, also, Veronica's last name is Quaif. By the way. Oh man. Quaif. Mm. Well, because already like, Brundle is like a little adjacent, you know. Like I could, yeah. Is that the name of the? Is that his name in the in the in the earlier movie in the Vincent Price movie? I don't think so, but I, I don't. I haven't looked that up. I was hoping somebody would have looked that up because I I did not look up to see if there was any sort of fly pregnancy in the original. I don't remember that from the Vincent Price movie. I don't remember the the fly pregnancy subplot. I just remember mm. the the faceted eye scream and the help me and all that jazz. Also, there was a instead of a baboon, it was a cat, which made me sad. But they didn't. Oh my god, they're both so okay. Sorry, I was like, I said, yeah, please, to Jeremy in advance. I apologize. I am going to talk about two things. One of them is abortion and the horrors of pregnancy, and the other is the baboon. You have to talk about the baboon. Let's talk about the I baboons. Yeah, let, let us. We must talk about the baboon, a thing after I don't being, say enough on this podcast. After <laughs> being a party to the murdering of a beautiful, intelligent animal, the only thing that could make me feel even vaguely sympathetic towards Gina Davis's <laughs> character is her needing an abortion. I'm like, you're the worst person in the world, but well, it's true. Let's terminate that. Well, I have, I'm with you. Like, how did, like, why wouldn't you test it on a lab? I, that's I literally what they're terrible. for. That's like, exactly, that's literally what lab rats are for. It is disgusting to her. And I just don't know, like, the one artistic storytelling choice from the movie that I just think is really misguided is having him tested on a baboon, which makes no sense at all because all it's going to do is make us hate him. The they human response to watching a human study. test. The human response to seeing a human do a, a scientific experiment on an animal and an advanced developed mammal is disgust and sadness. I yeah. cry. That, that was so a- like, why would you do that? Like, you want me to hate him? Don't. But it's I only him. after he's turned a baboon inside out that he's like, oh, shit, I should try a, like a steak and see how I that mean, works. Right. Yeah, it's just. It's, you know, and it's not, not necessary. Lot- it's not it's not important. Like, there's no reason to not just use a rat. We would be just as grossed out seeing a rat turned inside out. We just That's probably like that falls under like where we as a society have decided, like, is our hierarchy of life mm-hmm. in exchange yep. that we sacrifice in the name of science. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right, but it's a line that we as society have collectively <laughs> drawn. Yes. And exactly. it's mice and rats <laughs> like are right below it. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Should have read Full Metal Alchemist. He would have known how that but goes. Also, I have oh, questions yeah. in on multiple levels about existence. But... Where did this baboon come from? Like, where did Randall get this baboon? And where did David Cronenberg get this baboon? From the David Bowie hunger sleep study research lab. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I will like, say, like, at least I have faith that the baboon was probably treated perfectly well, perfectly fine on set, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. like, exposed to scary loud things even, probably. But, like, within the story of the movie, congratulations, I hate everybody. And it, oh, yeah. like, it's hard Did, for me to, like, not just stay in that mindset. I, I wish we got the scene where he robbed a zoo. There should have just been news reports <laughs> being like, and meanwhile, authorities still looking from the baboons that got stolen last week. 
It's so beautiful. It makes me so sad. He did express remorse, not enough remorse, but like he did express the the remorse. And then that was where like when he got drunk and did it himself and he was like, okay, you know, it was fucked up that I killed this baboon's Mm -hmm. brother. And I'm sitting here talking to this baboon Mm -hmm. and being like, wow, it was fucked up. Okay, well, you know, and he literally says like, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So he's like, fuck it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in there. And that fucks his entire life up. Like something, something, God's territory, which, you know, I'm saying as an agnostic person, like, you know, this is just within the narrative conceit of like a lot of these stories about scientists going too far. And he even turned it into an amusement park. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, like like, perhaps science has gone too far. I thought the script of that scene where he talks to the baboon is like really good. And he could have had the same exact conversation to a rat. That's the thing. It would, yeah. have been ex- it would have been the same conversation. Oh, completely like, unnecessary fuck. to be a baboon. But did anyone else think the baboon was going to be an animal sidekick for the rest of the movie? No. 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 Because this is a Cronenberg movie. <laughs> yeah, Algernon, I clearly misread things. Algernon fucking got flowers. That balloon. Aww. That baboon deserves flowers. At least. You know, instead of like sad fuck party and where we talk about steak. Also, there's no way you can do science with a pan-fried steak. If you're trying to test steak quality mm. with a pan-fried steak, you're already lost. I, Veronica says, I mean, it's not very good. Using do some finesse, but, but... Yeah, I, yeah. I did not see any pepper or salt. He did not no. teleport the pepper or salt. Yeah. Like, well, shitty steak. Also, I do appreciate that they eventually explained where he's getting the funding because I had a lot of questions about mm. that. Yeah, but yeah, I we will, I do still try to trying to figure out how that would have worked when he submitted all of his furniture as an expense report. Oh my! I mean, he needs to live comfortably in this warehouse to do his very important science. I'm, it's going to change the world. I'm very cheap. What powers these machines? How much electricity is needed to power teleportation? There's they more about on, on wheels. Is it just like six D batteries each? Maybe. That's how he's going to change the world. It's like he's so busy trying to fucking teleport baboons that he's also like invented this super efficient energy source and energy management system with this fucking horny computer. I do Um, love that. I mean, I will always love that we invented DARPA, an entire mad scientist division. And by far the big most impactful thing they ever invented was like a file organization network. I mean... I hate this computer. I think this must be the same computer from The Thing that just like mm-hmm. randomly is like, you know, if this got out of this lab, they would probably kill everybody in like a week. It's like there's a 75% chance somebody in this lab is already an alien. It's like, who asked you that computer? Where did you come up with that? And this <laughs> what one is punch- like, amazing. What punch card gives you that calculation? Yeah. Yeah, and how did he teach the computer to be horny overnight? Because he ate a steak. Like, he was all, I need to teach the computer of the flesh. And in order to do that, I must know more of the flesh. So that's my new pickup line. If I was picking people up. So you're saying you wanted a training montage of Jeff Goldblum slowly training a computer to be horny. (laughs) I mean, come on. Yes, correct. We had a demon baby maggot. We did have if a anybody can do it. Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, right? And David Cronenberg. 
again, Gina Davis is so delightful. Like she's so yeah and personable and like oh, God. Ah, love you, Gina Davis. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like bad I, journalist. I do have to say that. Very Oh yeah. I mean, she fucks her subject like immediately. Well, I think that that's it takes her no time to go full David Petraeus biographer. Listen. That was a if you get that joke, congratulations. Heroes now? Is that thank you for smoking? No, that's David Petraeus. That's the general who was formerly in charge of like all the Middle East stuff. Oh, Oh. Oh, that's all terrible. What a memory. Petrelli. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) busting out that bush hour of nostalgia. It's not like real journalism when you're covering a friend in that kind of way, but you could legitimately do it as a documentary in those ways. Like, just have you have to also transparency about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if she was like, if you have transparency about like that you're making a documentary about your friend's science thing, then that's that's legit. But you can't just be like, so man, I've never met before. I mean, he's uh, he is Jeff Goldblum in the '80s, and he is really fucking. Well, he's 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 hot, but he is like one fedora away from inventing 4chan. Oh like, no, he's a hundred percent. No, no, his pitch to her. This is interesting. When, when Jeremy was doing his initial his initial description of the movie and talked about selling the experiment to the point where she goes back with him, I was just sort of like that scene. Like the way he delivers that pitch is so well done. And so believable, but also like unbelievable that it would work. Like I 100% believe that man exists. He sounds exactly like that man, the way it's written everything. But like, that's just, you, he would, he, in order to pitch, if he, he, he pitched it in a way where she was basically like, I guess I'm going to go with a serial killer, you know? Yeah, he was like, I like bodies. I like, well, that was later when he's saying, oh, oh yeah, I'm a bodybuilder. I take them apart and put it back together. And I'm like, okay, Jeffrey Dauber. Even mm-hmm. when he's just regular Seth, every part of him getting Gina Davis back is so serial killer. Like when he takes him back to like mm-hmm. the warehouse loft, which he was doing before hipsters. Take that. Yeah. No, but, no, not before. That, that, oh, that, no, girl. Not before hip. No, sorry. You can't say that's that before. Hipsters have always lived in lofts. Like that's where they started. Like that's where they evolved. Yeah. It's like the primordial soup of hipsters. Like in yes. like the 1800s. Uh, like but, that's how I, what's his name? With the with the shoes. Shit. Oscar Edgar Wilde. Poe. With the shoes? <laughs> I don't Or shoes. Both of these options as with the shoes have, are blowing my mind. But yes, Meg is correct. I would yeah. say maybe Michael Jordan. come first. <laughs> Oscar, yeah. Oscar Wilde was living in a loft, and he was such a hipster. He was an absolute hipster. Yeah. But no, I do feel like that is the inherent contradiction and yet appeal of Jeff Goldblum is that he is so believably like awkward and a little ADHD, and yet he is just so undeniably like the charisma of a superstar. Mm. Yeah, well, and Gina Davis also, as a journalist, like, I could believe that she's like, okay, I can handle myself. I want to see what this guy's up to. And to be fair, she didn't sleep with him that time. At that point, it it took her a couple of days. She didn't need to take the stocking off. She was fine with the shoe. The shoe would have been been slightly flirtatious enough. I feel like she doesn't want to lose the shoe. Like, Yeah, exactly. Okay, you know what? That's a good point. The, she, this, this, she wants two heels to go home the, in. The, the stocking in, is yep. very disposable. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, this man, this man, Seth Rundle, has hit on me. I did not go with him, like, back to his fucking loft or whatever, even though I have a very, like, I try to encompass the Gina Davis energy as much as possible, <laughs> just in life generally. But Good energy. Yeah, right? This is what it would be like to meet Elon Musk in person. No, because he's not charismatic in the same, like, Je- there's yeah. a Jeff Goldblum, like, there's a Jeff Goldbluminess to him, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's this character. I have met this character. I have been to golf clubs. I've been to clubs where they're, you know, like, he's a nerd. He thinks he's the fucking best because he knows all the Warhammer rules. And he yeah, likes to talk about them. Whoa, yo, that dude knows all the fucking Warhammer rules? Yeah, and he thinks, like, so many of them. He is so, and, you know, I'm there. Yeah, I want to know like, that dude. He sounds cool. He has the tiniest paintbrushes. Yeah, he has the tiniest paintbrushes and all of the... He's very meticulous, but the thing is that he is cute and charismatic and funny. So he use, he weaponizes that as much as possible. And I've met this guy, and this guy, like, listen, this guy, to me, is so fucking hilarious because he is a cartoon character. He's a living cartoon character, so I know exactly how to deal with that shit until I go to, like... Don't never go to a second location, but mm-hmm. you can sit and talk to that guy and like just say whatever as long as he's not being like, Oh, you just can't handle this, which is what Jeff Google straight up does. Like, yes. in, in this movie, he's like, You can't handle this. And that's where I'd be like, Fuck you. But, yep, yep. Bye. No, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, like, please tell me more about your nerdy hobbies and expert. Like, this could be interesting, but you, you can't do it in a way that belittles me because that's yeah, you can't like- fucking gatekeep your shit at me. Exactly. Or- in a way that leads to a baboon being turned inside out. Oh, yeah. The, also, the baboon thing. Like, the second he pulls out a baboon, I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I haven't seen Nope, but I know the things that Nope refers to. The, I know a baboon will inside out you if it could. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, apparently this not baboon... not want to fuck up a baboon. Would, apparently this baboon was pretty wild on set to begin with. And it, was it's only... It's a baboon! They were of only able it. to keep it chill because Jeff Goldblum was muscular and six four and the baboon was like cool he's my he's my dad so are you saying that jeff goldblum this guy was a fucking this baboon was a fucking nightmare and it was just because of jeff goldblum that they were able I mean, to like keep it under wraps like i jeff do want to alpha the baboon yes absolutely not the air like <laughs> this is a year before die hard of like the regular bot action heroes. You've got your Arnold and like Stallone fucking like giant macho men. But here's Jeff Goldblum in 1986 doing like the fight club look a straight decade before Brad Pitt. Yeah. And he's and- also doing straight up like when I said Olympic level gymnastics, I'm not kidding. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I'm also no, not sure how much of that is. That wasn't him. Person. Yeah. They, I mean, I noticed his they, body is real, but the gymnastics is somebody else. Yeah. yeah body. Not I'm doing like, the okay, flip. this is a lot of long distance shots with pillars yes. strategically placed. I mean, there's he a good did. chunk of like just what he's doing on the chair before he gets up from the chair. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those abs are, those are some. Fucking washboard yeah. abs. You could grate cheese on them abs. Right. Yeah. That's why I that's why I that, like this is like Seth Brundle is like a sliding doors situation away from being Ian Malcolm, you know, also Jeff Goldblum character. Right. But like actually <laughs> has the like the follow through with the uh charismaticness and you know 
has decided to study chaos theory instead of biology and teleportation physics, I guess. But he's Ian doing. Malcolm is such a power bottom. And mm-hmm. this dude, Seth Brendel, started as a bottom and then he like switched when he got Mal- flied. Ian is a bratty bottom. He is a, such a bratty bottom. You know that. All right. But is that Jurassic Park? Yes. Ian Malcolm, yes. yes. Okay. Jeff Goldblum yeah, in yeah. Jurassic Park. I have never seen a character who just walks on set and without saying words, just like, yup, this character fucks. Oh my God. Oh my God. With his like sexy shirt and his sexy pants. Standing and sexy next to fucking Alan Grant, who clearly does not. Like... Alan Grant does not fuck. <laughs> Alan Grant does not know where the clitoris is. He knows where all the bones <laughs> for all the time. He has no idea where the clitoris is. Aww. That's why they're, they're not still alive by Jurassic Party Three. Okay, so this is so we talk a lot. We're talking a lot about Jeff Goldblum's abs, and that's why that is what I remember about this movie. Like you go into the beginning of this movie, Jeremy. Are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> I just want writing a script for Alan Green and the Mystery of the Clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Golden Book. God. <laughs> so gotta do an archaeological dig what was this yeah this is that scene with him and the raptor club but talking about a clitoris like yeah it's still alive when you start to eat you sorry uh, further off topic to promote the fossil pokemon they just put out a straight up like stuffed animal of pikachu in an alan grant costume and it's adorable oh i'm not sure how i feel about the segue from alan grant clitoris to alan grant pikachu well, the, I, I think it's the <laughs> Alan Grant that is the common element. Yeah, but Jeff Goldblum was in Earth Girls Are Easy and banged Gina Davis in that movie. And that movie is tonally the opposite. I just want to talk about that because that was a good hmm. movie about Jeff Goldblum being naked. And it didn't wasn't counteracted by maggot babies. Yeah, wait, is there a, <laughs> are, is there a whole movie of that's just Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis like having a romantic comedy? Yeah, have uh, you guys ever seen Vibes? Yes, but that's with Cindy Lauper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cindy Lauper. Yeah, I thought you doesn't like Cindy Lauper. This yes. that movie is actually really charming. Like, yeah, vibes are charming because they're the both like it's not like very it. charming. The fly is not, but that's the thing. Is Jeff Goldblum like crouching naked in that pod with like the steam and everything? That's what you remember of that movie, and that's what everyone puts on the poster. If not just yeah. like the alien like pod. Because I know that the alien movie poster is very similar to the fly poster with like there's a round thing and it's well, to what shiny. degree is that just being like, because I saw that and I'm like, yes, A plus Jeff Goldblum nakedness. But also I'm like, I've seen Terminator. Is this yeah, Terminator? Jeff Goldblum this time. It is. No, Jeff it makes Goldblum, sense. That is an important like, difference. Like, you know, have it. It makes sense. Give us an excuse to have him naked. And like do it and like it makes sense and it's atmospheric and I'm all for it. I also really like the design of the pods. Yeah. They're so of their period. You oh know? my God. Right? They yes. Like, those were definitely then used in a, in a different film as like some office like statuers, like statuary. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like and it's big like the neo brutalism thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, Great. I love them. Did Tetsu of the Iron Man come out before this movie? Or after this movie? Hmm. After, I want to say it was 87. Yeah. Who's I mean, that's... Yeah. Apparently, there's a sequel to this. Oh, movie. 89. 89 for Tetsuo? Yeah. I, my favorite part, we've talked about the computer and what a fucking nonsense computer this is. 
my favorite part about the computer is at the end with the final teleportation and this computer's refusal to admit failure where instead of being like whoops it got shot and everyone ran out halfway through teleportation failed it's like nope i'm too good a computer teleportation with the telepod successful yeah that good job computer successfully fused with a radiator yeah and also like how does that even make sense because like it's not organic material well i guess it does do more organic material this is why it's so funny to me like not like leading up to it like her being you know thrown in the pod and and everything that's going on with seth and that but like uh it's howard shore right that's doing the score on this Um, i think so yeah yeah like there's this like creeping louder and louder music like setting up this like final reveal of what's happened to Brundle as he comes out of this thing fused partially with the teleporter and like the door opens and the steam comes out and the and the music goes and Brundle like, goes it's like calls him just like, like dangling on the ground like he's writhing in pain and like <laughs> metal shedding oh yeah we should talk more about the body horror for him per se and like yeah horrific puberty so i also want to talk about that because there's a lot of discussion about coercion and not just him forcing gina davis or trying to force or shame gina davis or toddy into getting into the the pod and doing pod times but he is very like horny and very pushy about sex which is real rough i think it's astutely rough because he is a monster and he was like kind of a shit bird beforehand but he had some redeeming uh, qualities like chinese food like chinese and champagne food. and Breakers. i feel like he could have he, he could have sorted himself out but with this fly thing he just went too far and the and there's a thing about david cronenberg and one of the reasons that i enjoy him as the king of venereal horror is that like as someone who is ace and someone who is like been forced to be sexualized by pretty much everything as i was growing up and you know also having to deal with dudes saying a lot of this shit to me verbatim when i was like i just rather like can we just watch the fly instead of netflix and chill can we actually chill mm-hmm. i know netflix doesn't exist yet but anyway yeah uh, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah so this the aggressiveness and the like the just meaty grossness of the sex in david cronenberg movies is something that i really like identify with and not because i think that sex is inherently gross but the way that it has been pushed on me as someone who has been throughout my life as someone who is like trying to come to come to accept my identity as asexual because in order to have relationships with somebody who's very like like i identify a lot with gina davis who is she's there for because she has her own ambitions but also empathetic despite the monstrosity and everything and maybe a little naive because you know these cartoon guys are just so funny Having that be forced on you is something that is really hard to articulate. And also, you know, not just that, but like gender identity and things like that. Like a lot of that otherness comes into the body horror. I appreciate that about the Cronenberg body horror. 
And it's interesting too, because we have this situation where Jeff Goldblum goes to this through this point where he's like, he's going through these stages of grief about his transformation that is, you know, out of his control. Yeah, no, I mean, there's like such a good puberty metaphor in there, especially for going through changes that you don't want to be experiencing, you know, yeah. like I, I'm sure that that aligns with a lot of people's traumatic puberty changes that they didn't want to experience. But like the movie also just straight up goes to like your teeth are falling out. Yeah. Like he went right into that like horror of that I, I could not watch the nail thing. I like, yeah, I, it's I had, one. yeah, no, I, I took yeah, Frank, like, tell not me ready. Done. Yeah. I was like, tell me when it's done, you know, but like the, he's, he's like really going into the well of like our deepest, most fucked up horrors. And the fact that Seth responds to them with a combination of horror and amazement is also, I think, very similar to a kind of a dreamlike state that sometimes these things feel like for people when they're having these fears while they're, dream while they're dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like it's really uncanny in those ways. But well, I also think that's sold exceptionally well by Jeff Goldblum and like a way that I don't think other actors could have done. The like, yeah. the way that he goes from, you know, in, in his two meetings with her from like this like horror when he's using the arm crutches and he's like i'm i'm falling apart and dying i don't know how much longer i've got and the next time she comes back he's like oh, i'm walking on the ceiling isn't this crazy that i'm like doing this maybe maybe you know I'm, I'm finding my destiny maybe there's something important here like that's such an interesting switch that feels both so jeff goldblumy but so like real that you know the script turns this corner for him yeah the script really calls for jeff goldblum's attitude and behavior to like turn on a dime yeah so rapidly throughout and he nails all of them like it's so much fun just seeing him show up and being like and now i'm acting in this completely different way which and really like he carries it like so much of the movie i think rests on him and his charisma which is why as creepy as the final transformations are and as scary and as just like as fucked up as like the face ripping apart is i think it loses something really crucial at the end by going all puppet mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. that it doesn't have gold bloom there to sell those final moments of pain and tragedy like if this movie i like i think a big reason why this movie didn't quite work for me is and maybe there's another interpretation i'm not seeing but i think it either needed to go like Brundle is a villain like this is a guy who is like a pretty bad guy before and this has just made him so much worse and we just want to see him like get taken out or this is a good man who through mistakes and going too far with pursuing science like this what could have been a great life and a great love has to be destroyed in this most tragic of ways and I don't feel like Brundle was likable enough to pull off the tragedy and you especially don't have the tragedy if you don't have, if it's not actually between Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum in those final moments. Hmm. Yeah. It's just um, a weird fucking puppet that like, yeah, absolutely fucking explode it. Explode the weird gross puppet. I mean, yeah, I mean Gina Davis is acting her pants off, you know, like she's Gina Davis is great. really hard to sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's doing great. But again, it's like as creepy as it is, as an acting partner's trying to sell a tragedy. Yeah. 
giant gross fly puppets really not giving her much like giving her much to reciprocate right you're like no please please kill please kill especially because he tried to make her be pregnant you know like please kill her. I'm, I'm like like cheering for that it's so funny like I hate that she has to go get her evil ex to come and save her, but that's because this is a world with three people in it. Like, yeah. So claustrophobic. So small. What and the, the doc, the doctor is Cronenberg. The second doctor, the, the nightmare doctor is Cronenberg. The real OBGYN is the actor who plays the, from Videodrome, who plays the head of the company. Oh, yes. So oh, wow. it's just a, a quirky character actor. And I, I liked seeing him in there, but. You yeah, know, and, I, I, and then it's like Tawny and the two guys at the bar, and like I, that's about it as far as actors. I'm like was so glad he like, didn't rape Connie. Like I was really happy about that. Like yeah, like there's not even a lot of scenes with like a bunch of extras. There's like the bar scene and mm-hmm. a very beginning at the party. Yeah, this movie really wastes no the, time in in the world in the world of the movie. Like she has no one else, so of course he's yeah. the guy who gets brought in. Like at that point in time, like. They would have had to have introduced an entirely new character an hour 15 into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that doesn't work for me is that the movie's not quite sure who the main character is. Sometimes it is following her and sometimes it's following him. And if the tragedy is him, then it, it kind of blows that by... Like just skipping large portions of his story, and if if the main character is her, then and this you know is the tragedy of her going through all the shit she has to go through in this, then like there's super long chunks that she's not in. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of weird in that way. And her whole abortion plot is sidelines. Like, yeah, it's and that's what that's why I feel like it just doesn't need to be there. Like if it's it going to be about that, then it's either about that or it's about it's allegorical. And I think that the I mean, just with those two things, with the fly transformation and the pregnancy thing and all of the sex and flesh that has been involved mm-hmm. with all of that. I think that this movie already had so much that it was dealing with. And Gina Davis should have had more like cool things because Jeff Goldblum was saying some crazy poetry about insect politics and, Mm. you know, I'm Mr. Samsa and all this kind of shit. Oh, my God. I forgot about the insect politics. That was fucking bonkers. Yeah. And like in his hit when he's talked when he's talking to his teeth like that was so cool. And there was such good, like, just fun writing going on there. And the the weirdest thing that Gina Davis got to say was that old ladies like to pinch babies because they're interested in the flesh. And it's not the case. Like, it just really, and, and then where that went really made it sound like, okay, so old ladies pinch babies either because they want to eat the babies or because they're horny. No, and that's either. I think. I know. I know so. what. I know I'm pretty sure it's cannibalism. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say, yeah, because I saw snow. Also, the science, Captain America, science behind it too. I know there's, but like the way that they, the way that they placed it in the film in context, because she's like, I want to eat you up, and then she's like, you know, he's such a fucking nerd that he like sleeps on his microchips and gets them embedded in his back during sex, which is like, don't you hate that when all of your processors you know you've left all your profits <laughs> he's like oh, i was wondering where that was like where was that supposed to be Did yeah you- tell me you've never fallen asleep with like a completely random object on the mattress somewhere 
And then I, yeah. I was waiting for I the line where it's like, oh, it. look, it's the... Exactly. Jeremy knows. I have, yeah. I don't know what my excuse is, but I've definitely been like, is that a hanger? That's a hanger. Like a million times. What I was glad they didn't do, what I was kind of waiting for them to be like, oh, look, it's the chip that lets me know if multiple things are in the pod and doesn't do it if that's the case. Oh, <laughs> like, that oh I just wear this chip. Yeah, because like it looked like it was... Like when I first saw the movie, I thought it was a chip that like the their his company had like stuck on him in order to monitor his progress or some shit. Like, I don't know. I thought it was some some tracking shit because there was a lot of stalking going on in the film. But no, he's just left his shit around. And also he didn't he was very clear. He didn't like he did the programming. He didn't make these things. He had them made. He was like, can you make he asked all these different people to make like a particular thing. And then he put them in a cool, like neo brutalist, like chrysalis. One project management is an essential piece of science that is often overlooked. It's often gendered labor that's given to women actually as well. But two, like he's the one who, who knew like what these things were to even ask. So I don't have, okay. a, that didn't, that like, if those other people were capable of making a matter transporter, they they would have, but they weren't. So he, you know what I mean? Like, I'm fine with well, that. Well, that's the Oh, thing. yeah. Well, I'm fine with that. Bad scientist. But I'll why does he have it in his bed? Show that other people can replicate yep. it. Take them. You yeah. and your fucking warehouse taking no notes is goddamn useless. Yeah. I mean, at least I, I'm really tempted to try to train my Siri to respond to Jeff Goldblum-like voice patterns. Because, I mean, who has a more... Now, I've I've actually... I'm not... Please, Alicia, help me. Who has a more recognizable uh, voice pattern than Jeff Goldblum? Jeff Goldblum. I know, yeah. only Shatner or Columbo, I guess. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's really strong there. And like, I don't know. I think that... I like how he you does know, like, be clear, like We're not saying... Computer. Like, the whole fact with Goldblum doing bad science, like, that is normal in movies, right? Like, the movies that actually show people doing proper scientific method, it's like, I don't even know one movie that does it. So I don't want to act like that's, like, a particular problem with this movie or anything. But it is sometimes it's hard to not feel frustrated with characters when they're doing that sort of stuff. But by the same token, like, I think that's okay. I don't think that he's trying to make it so that we're, like, this guy is great. His process seems rational. I think he's making good life choices, you know? But like, it is the trope of any kind of scientist movies. They don't actually do it right. Yeah. Because it's not cinematic in that way. It's true. I still want him to publish his results. Like, I know I'm going on the like, Batman should, go, should contribute more to charity. Where it's like, because <laughs> then there wouldn't be a fucking movie if good decisions were made. Good decisions being made isn't how guys get fused to flies. Mm -hmm. Just be called the yeah. guy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I kept thinking, I don't know if you guys, oh, my cat Axel is like incredibly good at hunting bugs. So like when that happens, we kept being like, oh, if Axel was there, he would have gotten that fly. I mean, he might have also gotten in there and then they would have had a different version of cat people yeah. where he becomes part cat and part people. But like I saw the fly, I was like, oh, that thing would have been dead in our apartment, did it? I've seen that <laughs> anime though. Like the yeah. one where they, they fuse the cat and the people. At some point, this company is going to be like, what happened to this guy? Do we own this warehouse? <laughs> well, what's in here? A weird monster corpse and teleportation pods. Sweet. Man, if I was 
this could be luck went out. So excited to tell us all about it. That this movie is like this movie doesn't fuck around. It's like it's ninety six minutes. It starts with him mm-hmm. pitching her on the thing. It ends with him getting shot. Like there's no three or four endings. There's no like lots of lead up to what's gonna happen. It's like it is. It knows it knows what length the horror movie should be, and it it's in and out of there, you know. Yeah. Another question about the computer: Was the voice recognition was that supposed to be some kind of security protocol? Because as soon as it didn't recognize his voice, he was like, "Ah, eh, fuck it, just type it in, and I'll do it from there." I think that was just him flexing and okay. being able to like yeah. voice that recognition. Sounds, that sounds in character. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm with that. I mean, earlier he was there was something with a password. But it was kind of besides the it was it was separate from the voice recognition thing, I guess. It was like a Star Trek authorization code. Yeah. <laughs> Picard Alpha. Authorization Brundle mm-hmm. five seven, you know. Charlie uh, Tango. So let's uh I did want to ask guys, do we feel like this movie is feminist? Is the flag oh. feminist? Yeah. I think it oh. is, but it no. Oh, I think it's feminist. It just is okay. okay that a lot of feminists are not gonna like have the spoons to watch because it's triggering. But I think it's feminist, absolutely. absolutely. I second Alana. Yeah. I I disagree. Okay. I mean, you have a good point. And I I actually am very happy to to hear this this outlook because I, you know, for a long time, I really related with this movie in a lot of ways. Now looking at it and seeing like how just kind of disparate it is about everything, I feel like it you know, it, it it doesn't. It's not clear enough for it to come across as feminist. I do think it depends on whether you think his portrayal of both Staffus and Brundle is intentional. That like you think he know whether you think he knows that these guys are awful. Um, okay. Oh yeah. The I, more uh, you say him out loud, the more yeah, they sound more like Game of Thrones names. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, this will, I mean, no, I Cronenberg knows that they're dirtbag. I mean, she, he's using them to show here's two different kinds of dirtbag. Basically, yeah. Stathis, he definitely knows is pure dirtbag. Yeah, yeah no, I think old fashioned yeah. dirtbag, and and Seth is more of like a, you know, he's a he's a misunderstood genius type dirtbag. Let me put it this way: if Stathis was taken hostage in a not in Nakatomi Plaza, mm-hmm. he's asking for cocaine and a Coca Cola. <laughs> I yeah, I mean like the the these guys are the worst. The movie's got to know that. Jeannie Davis does her best and she is the most reasonable person in this movie. But the tropes are just flung at her. Like she is is far too sympathetic to these guys. You know, she she puts up with too much shit. For a lot of women are like that. They, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, and and I've been in that situation, but that's one of the ways that I think it's it doesn't quite get to the feminist point. And also like her her story is so diluted from the the Jeff Goldblum situation. And it's hard because Jeff Goldblum by himself is such a fucking star. And he's so fun to watch in this movie, even when he's covered with flesh and you know, his eyeballs are popping out and shit. Like I really wanted to go watch Gina Davis play some baseball after watching this movie. Right. And there is a lot of like the most gaze of like sexualization is on Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gina gets like a little bit of side move at one point. But like for the most part, she is 
clothed. She is treated like not not gazy at all. If on the other hand, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm not just like we've got him naked coming out of the teleporter. There's a couple scenes where I'm pretty sure you can see the entire outline of his deck through his through his. Yo. His, yeah, his, get his that Goldblum schlong. I was like, whoa, whoa, hi, Jeff Goldblum's dick. There it is. There, there it is. There it is. You yeah, call that a there dick it is. wet. There it is. <laughs> and her selling it. Life uh, so, finds a way. That is another thing, is that he literally buys Tawny. She, she's like, I'm not going home with you. I'm not a hooker. And then she goes home with him. And he's like, she's well, like, I'm I don't, I don't think he buys her. I think he just does violence and then wins her through show of violence. Yeah. He, which is a perfectly like, good message. She seems to be on, on the side of going home with whoever wins this arm wrestling match. And she's like, I like this guy more tonight. So I hope he wins. And then Jeff Goldblum is like, what if I broke his whole fucking arm? Then, then you have to go home with me. Right. Like that's how the rules work for this. And I mean, she agreed. She's like, I see no holes in that logic. I mean, he did just break somebody's arm and he did like grab her by the wrist and he basically dragged her. He did go to other bars, but then she just got more drunk. So there's it's not real good representation of consent here. This is a very, very uh, problematic situation. So that's where I'm at there. Also, okay, people of color, there is one person who is not white who is working at the clothing shop when Stathis shows up and, and starts like just being the worst at Gina Davis. Everybody in this movie is terrible. To he stalks her, breaks in, he stalks her, breaks into her apartment. Oh, Stathis is the worst. Just, I just get this picture of John Ralphio just going, like, why did you merge your DNA with a scumbag? <laughs> I think that happened on like just that just happened. That's just him. I mean, I will I'll absolutely give credit credit to John Getz. He plays an amazing scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. Stanis feels like a real dude. A terrible dude, but a real dude. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's there's not much to say about people of color and social justice in this movie. Class doesn't oh. really exist in this movie. Money is a magical construct that you just have enough of to do whatever you want to. Journalists have lots of it, and so does this science man. And well, it's it just it just appears. If you are a superhero fan out there, John Getz is an actor who you might recently have seen in Doom Patrol as the son of Negative Man. Is it, so is he an optimist or a pessimist? No, he's a pretty douchey character, and he shows up in like four episodes. A double negative man. Double niche. <laughs> yeah. In terms yeah, of weirdly, as as we've talked about, as we talked about last week, for a a movie for a director who's so obsessed with sex and deviance, again, no no queer people in this movie. No, but again, I also I Alana, please. I mean, I'm really thinking about that. Like, no, given given given. The fact that once his body is shifting beyond the confines of gender, they don't have sex again, then no, I guess you're right. There is no, there are no, it's all, it's, it's, yeah, it, there's no queer people per se. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also feel like his monstrous sex, like the, the David Cronenberg monster sex and like scary, meaty flesh sex is, when it's like so monstrous it's problematic to project that 
with, you know, and, and, and combine that with any sort of LGBTQIA representation. Although, you know, we did miss something in Crimes of the Future. Those, the two women that were really horny for the equipment were also horny for each other. And also the, there was unclear some... whether they were horny for each other or just horny to be in the equipment naked. I, I don't know. General horny vibes. The Vigo yeah. Mortensen's partner was also really horny for the woman who was getting like her face surgery. So, oh yeah, she was mad horny for face surgery. Yeah, and but everybody's horny for woman. surgery in that movie. That's well, yeah, because it's the new sex. Anyway, but this is not that movie. It's a different movie. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of mental conditions or physical conditions, there is a real rough dismissal of, of chemo treatment in this movie, where um, hmm. Jeff Goldblum initially reacts to his transformation as, as some kind of cancer and he doesn't want treatment because he doesn't want to become basically like a, you know i think i can't remember what terms he I uses to, that now yeah but he's like i don't want to be you know on chemo drooling and basically be an invalid which is like it's, it's cancer i mean that's what a lot of people are afraid of and i think it's you know not supposed to be like something that we should identify with Jeff Goldblum, but, you know, I think it is a symptom of his irrational reaction to the, to the whole situation, but it's not great representation. And I do think that his stages of grief is interesting, you know, addressing the stages of grief with his transformation is, is worth noting. I don't know if it is mm -hmm. doing, doing any sort of representation, any favors or anything but the fact that he does go through like bargaining and denial as his teeth are falling out and you know the the effects of shock which i think are kind of undermined a lot in horror because we are all you know there's there's a sort of community of horror fans that are so impatient with people that don't react immediately to a horrible situation with like okay i'm gonna preserve myself but instead i'm just gonna scream or freeze i think that it's important to address that, you know, horror as a condition is more complicated. So that's how I feel about that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm not sure what the movie has to say about disability. It does like deal a lot with transformation and changing and losing pieces of yourself. And he does adapt rather quickly. And I, I feel like if it weren't for the last scene of the movie, you might be able to say that like this movie has a relate has a not negative relationship with you know dealing with losing things and changing bodies and adapting but it really it really goes down the drain when his entire face splits open and he's a fly man underneath i mean i relate i can definitely imagine like one of the reasons i'm really very vigilant about trying to reduce my covert exposure is the fear that things that i could have prevented from happening to my body will happen sooner or with greater magnitude than would happen otherwise. And so like, I think that, you know, it's a particularly challenging movie for me at least to try to watch right now, but like that the fear of physical transformation that changes and forces it to change how you're able to function. And I, I appreciate that Seth has this moment of being like, you know, he wasn't asking for a transformation, but now he has one. And his question is, maybe this will be the transformation that, you know, he always wanted and that'll help him be actualized. Or maybe it'll be the transformation that makes him incapable of being like a functioning as a human that he wants to. And yeah. I think that that's like, you know, there's a ton of like trans stuff in that question, you know, 
And I think that there's also, yeah, like a lot of fear of disability wrapped in there as well. I think it's going to resonate for a ton of people along those lines, whether or not it's like good or whatever, like that is how people feel. Mm -hmm. That's a good point too, because I mean, even if this representation of this either outlook or the attitude of the characters about this particular thing, if it's not super clear how accepting it is, you know, it's also important to address that it's more complicated, you know, and in, this is not a movie about accepting that your body is not in your control. It's about fear mm-hmm. and it's about how really real that fear is. And I think it definitely hits in a different way right now with the politics going on and with with the pandemic, because mm-hmm. a lot of people take for granted the kind of effect that COVID or, you know, other people can have on you. They take for granted the things that they don't usually see, like immunodeficiency. And yep. and when we see a movie that is so much about these visceral fears. Well, I mean, I love that this is a movie where our character says, I think Jeremy helped me get the quote right, like, take this out of me or I will take it out myself, which is... Yeah. Basically how every pregnant person who doesn't want to be pregnant feels about, I don't mean to, I'm sure some people feel like maybe this, maybe that, but whatever. I've literally never spoken to one about like getting the shit out of them. Like, I don't know. That sounds like some goyish shit, but like, you know, I guess it's different for people. You should delete that because I'm sure people who have, who have wanted to be pregnant and then have issues is a different story, but I just don't encounter that nearly as often as I encounter people who get pregnant and don't want to be by, you know, but like, so that's just a really powerful thing there. I, I had thought that he had had trans actors in a number of his pieces, but that he's like, not, he doesn't want to like make that about them. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I think it's good. It's great that he's like hiring people. Yeah. I, yeah. And yeah. Like I think it's, it's, I mean, and Butterfly is like, a movie about trans people and I, I'm very curious how I'd feel about watching it now. I haven't I, seen I'm it. I'm really curious. It, I, I really loved it and I'm, I'm, it's, it's from a long time ago and I'm very curious how, you know, like what it'll, what it would feel like watching now, but I, I don't know. Interesting to me I mean, is like, yeah. I think on this subject of like, whether they should have, you know, queer people or, or characters or trans characters in stories. I think like him doing M Butterfly, but then like not having just queer characters and other stories. I'd, I've never seen M Butterfly, but I think for me, that would be the wrong way to do it. Just because like you are telling, you are a person who is not trans telling a story that is very much about being trans. Yeah. Rather than telling a story that includes a diversity of characters which is i think what what is missing from these stories is like you know we i i made the comparison to x-men last time of like you can only have so many metaphors for queer people without ever involving queer Hmm. people with it out of feeling like a problem yeah i mean these days there's ways to do it for sure i mean 86 it was probably a little more difficult to slide in there but yeah and again with the with cronenberg and his like the the just weird sex it probably would have done more harm than good because i did mention you know jeffrey dahmer earlier and you know the that kind of crazy body horror shit and like a lot of the the weird sex that like you see in horror 
or that you hear about in horror true crime was a really big excuse for homophobia for a lot of people. And, you know, now I feel like they're, they, they were, the conversation has evolved enough yeah. that, you know, I think David Cronenberg can certainly do it. At, at the time of The Fly or, you know, Videodrome or whatever, really not. Also, The Fly is a movie where a woman gives birth to a maggot. Has anyone sure made is. a joke about how bad healthcare is when David Cronenberg's your gynecologist? <laughs> Man, he would definitely be better than some people I've dealt with. That's true. <laughs> like because he's got the empathy factor you know? that's true that's David yep. Cronenberg just just looking looking at a vagina and being like man that's fucked up I'm sorry <laughs> like, okay, one yeah he probably does have a little bit of that in there but two like I think he'd be like oh you're in pain like let's get you drugs and be like thank you yeah understanding that well I think he would look at a vagina and be like huh okay and he'd make notes like, but like, so we're gonna do Dead Ringers then, right, guys? Like the his film. Oh my god! I want, I want it out of Dead Ringers isn't on our list for this November, but maybe for another November. But that one, that one, I can't. Like, I've I've considered like, is Jeremy Irons on Jeremy like Jeremy Irons times Jeremy Irons? Like that does not count as LGBTQIA. First of all, no, that's a really good question. It's a good question. That well, I've, I'm going to self says it's self says its own category. It's mm -hmm. and it is also, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's it's like him and twin, and they, he is supposed to be a twin brother, but like, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that, I, I think we definitely are going to have to do more Cronenberg movies because I do want to talk about Dead Ringers. I do also want to talk about The Dead Zone. That's right. Because that's fucking wild. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. No, I mean, I really want to watch rewatch Dead Ringers, but part of me has been like, but Ilana, you've undergone so much more medical trauma since then. Maybe you were fine watching that in college and wouldn't be fine watching it now. So, like, I'm totally going to have someone, like, go and tell me, like, be like, let me download my shit with you. You tell me if I can still watch this or not. But, like, you know, Ilana, who hadn't had as much medical trauma, was, like, right there with it. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing about these films, Dead Ringers and The Fly and a lot of these movies with the gynecology involved with Berg. The Flash. Can we talk about The Flash? No, just The Flash. Or The oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Worth what? I know. No, no thoughts anymore. Only Wally West. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty torn on if this movie is worth watching. Like, I didn't love it, but I definitely didn't hate. I definitely didn't hate it. Definitely got a lot of good stuff going on, but not the most emotionally satisfying film I've seen. This is definitely science fiction movie homework, though. Like, if you want to just oh, yeah. have some experiences under your belt, again, mind the content warnings. There's a lot of things that are big, yeah. bad deal breakers. And if you got this far, hopefully you listen to the content warnings at the beginning because it's a paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I went into this movie, I was really excited because I remembered, you know, Jeff Goldblum naked. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a bunch of, like, coercion and, like, rape allegory and, uh, you know, almost literal rape and, you know, abortion and, like, evil baby trope. And, yeah, I mean, it is, again, like, there's a lot of potential trigger that I obviously understand if you listen to that list and you're like, nope, don't want to see it. I I like it way more than Crimes of the Future, which, you know, I, like I said, I didn't vibe with last time. I think it's a hot, like, 92 minutes. It's in and it's out, and it's 
incredible performances pretty much all around. I think, like I said, a lot of how you come away from it, I think depends on what you think Cronenberg means by it. Because like, if, you know, if you, if, if you think as I do that he knows that these guys suck and that, you know, he is again, sympathetic to the Gina Davis character in this, then like, I think it's a lot easier to stomach. And I think that if nothing else, the special effects in this movie are fucking rad. Like, oh, yeah. All of the incredible ones I was capable of watching with my eyes open were definitely. No, the effects in this movie, 10 out of 10. Like, if there's not some point in this movie where you're watching it and you go, great body. If you don't do that, if you don't make that noise at some point in this movie, you are stronger than me. Every time he throws up acid. Yeah, that was, (laughs) I, I shared before this podcast started that uh as i was watching it last night alicia came in to talk to me with about 10 minutes left in the movie and i paused it for her and she was like well if you're gonna finish it you should go ahead and finish it now and i'll just stay here for it and it was right before he pukes up acid all over stathis's hand and then foot and they they disintegrate and uh boy she did not like that she left five minutes after starting it did not make it through the last 10 minutes of the movie that she came in for Fair. So, yeah it's it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's worth seeing, I think, if nothing else, for just the pure craft of it. On, on that note, what do we recommend for people if they want to check out something else either related to this or uh, as a, a thing to, to take to get this taste out of their mouth? Alana, what do you recommend people check out? So two things. Again, I'm glad I watched this movie. It's an important movie, da, 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 but I needed to get it out of my head when I was done before I could go to bed. So I did watch, this is quite the opposite Dead End Paranormal Park, really good cartoon, very, very queer cast, lots of fun, very campy. And it is horror, but it's like, you know, it's easy horror. It's not existential horror. Of course, it's a fucking kid's show. So let me tell you an adult movie, which I definitely did not watch right after this because it would have taken too much time. But if you like a good mad scientist movie, I definitely recommend checking out From Beyond. Oh, my God. Have you guys covered that movie yet? No. It feels like a very much like you guys could do this, cover this movie, but from sure. beyond. Yes. From beyond is sorry. Just go me one second. Sorry. Uh, obviously can't miss for all of us. Jeffrey Coombs of files, cinephiles. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's directed by the uh, also director of reanimator Stuart Gordon. It's based on an HP Lovecraft story, but it's very, very much focused on body horror and psychological horror of pituitary gland studies gone in luck and yeah it's it's horror it's sci-fi it's creative it's got interesting shit going on i did not think it's super triggering at least it wasn't for me but there's definitely plenty of gross out like cover everything in ky jelly you know (laughs) approach to physical side effects and of course like who amongst us doesn't also love barbara crampton as dr Catherine mcmichael yeah i know exactly the Barbara Crampton as a doctor and like, yeah, some like fun s set pieces and just really a really great classic B horror movie of the eighties. Just a B in terms of budget and like the issues it's interested in, but a, in terms of quality, you know, especially yeah. quality for a dollar spent, you know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Emily, I think you've shared some of, of what you wanted to recommend. What all do you have? Well, I did mention Earth Girls Are Easy, which is, I think, a good palate cleanser after this. If you want to see some real, like, good, I don't know if wholesome is the word I would use, but just funny, goofy 80s alien movie with some 
Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis chemistry. That movie, I feel like, is more feminist. It is. It also is a musical. They have a song about getting your hair done called Curl Up and Die, and it's really good. <laughs> and also has, like, baby Jim Carrey in it, which is, you know, a trip. And I believe Damon Wayans, if wow. I am not mistaken. Yeah, there's, it's kind of an all-star cast. But then there's also, if you like the imagery of Jeff Goldblum catching flies, there is a weird little movie. It's not a good movie, but it's worth it to see Jeff Goldblum catching flies and portraying the devil. And that's Mr. Frost, which is a British film where Jeff Goldblum is uh, plays the devil and is trying to get a therapist to kill him. So it's pretty wild. But he, you know, he takes it away. It's like super young Jeff Goldblum, like Ichabod Crane, Jeff Goldblum. So check that out. If you, it's, I think it's on YouTube for free. Nice. Free is always a good price. Yeah. Ben, what do you have to recommend? You know, if you want to see more Fly Monsters, check out any of the Baxter Stockman episodes from any of the assorted Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. Hmm. Bless him. <laughs> Baxter Stockman... I think was like the other way for this character to go where he's like, I actually do want to tame my rage. And, you know, I was an insect dreaming I was a man, but I liked, I liked also being a man. I can be both. Maybe Jeff Goble would have gotten to that place if he didn't end up fused to a radiator. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, that tends to be a setback. He was just getting into his like super fly monster phase. Like, you know, he could have put on a lab coat next. Like, he was on his way. Yeah, like, he was actually starting to build carapace. And, you know, just give it time. <laughs> Fusion with telepod successful. <laughs> Fuck off, computer. <laughs> so successful. The computer's the real villain of this movie. This computer's a fucking asshole. I mean, yeah. computers, well, he, he did it's beg a horny the bad idea machine. He said the computers are stupid. They only do what they do, what you tell them. And the computer's like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> well, that, that that is a real programmer saying. So it felt yeah. kind of like, I bet people watching the movie in the eighties might not have heard that at that point. And I think it's an important thing for people to understand. You know, absolutely. I do agree. This is what I tell my folks whenever they're confused by the phone: is the computer. You are more than the computer. The computer is not better than you. It's okay. Anyway. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of other Cronenberg stuff, a lot of other things that are similar to this movie and theme. So I thought it was a good opportunity to recommend some some stuff to check out from these two actors. So you can go watch Gina Davis. A League of Their Own is a lot of fun. Some of the stuff is not aged terribly well, but she is great in it. It's a lot of fun to watch. Possibly even better is Thelma and Louise, which she's fantastic in. And if you want some fun Jeff Goldblum that, you know, you may not have seen because it's not Jurassic Park, you can check him out in Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, which he's very fun in. And also, if you ever want to walk down a weird memory lane, if you go watch Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Jeff Goldblum is the voice of Miss Scum himself. So that's always a, a fun piece that. of trivia. So go, go check out some old Captain Planet if you can find it anywhere. He is a ven venomous. That wraps it up for us. Alana, can you let people know where they can find out more about you and, and what you're working on online? 
Sure can. I spent too much time on Twitter at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. I host the podcast Graphic Policy Radio, where we talk to such comics, artists, writers, luminaries, such as the folks here today who at this point, every single one of you has guessed that on Graphic Policy at least one time. And for your, and I'm about to have some stuff on Andor come up, which is not comics, but like had to be covered because I like, look at all those comrades in space, man. That's some good leftist television material. I also co-host the podcast Deep Space Dive, which is housed within Graphic Policy Radio. And it is a Deep Space, Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast where folks, including most recently, New York State Senator Gustavo Rivera joins to talk with us about Deep Space Nine's themes and politics. Yeah, we have a range of experts coming on and joining us. It was exciting to have an elected official. Oh my God. But yeah, those are my, sorry? I said, I just said, oh my God. Like, yeah, that was, really he, he basically like pitched himself actually. So that made me very happy. That's awesome. We, we, had, we, we, had, we couldn't record right away because he turned out to have like a completely bullshit primary election opponent. That was funded by the real estate industry. Uh, um, so oh. I was like, God damn it. Now we have to actually campaign. So you can't come on until after you win the primaries. So anyway, but yeah, it's that kind of podcast. So yeah, those are my major projects. And of course, folks should keep listening to Progressively Horrified. One last plug, though, is that playlist that Emily and I made of Hellraiser, the Hellraiser playlist entitled Hellraiser. Folks should definitely listen to that. That's on the that's on the Twitter as well. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's on. I know that's on your Twitter, but yeah, um, yeah. I've I've also retweeted or reblogged or I try to. Of course, we're gonna have to get to it at some point. But if people haven't seen the new Hellraiser, very much recommend checking that out. It's we'll, all do, we'll do. I'm excited. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have to get to that at some point. For now, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com. And finally, for me, you can find me on Instagram at jrome 58 and on Twitter at the same. And my website is jeremywhitley.com, where you can check out everything that I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and Twitter at Prague Horror Pod, where we'd love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would leave us a review there. Five stars helps us find new listeners, helps new listeners find us especially during this uh, time right after our scary movie month where people have been, uh, you know, looking to to engage about scary movies. And I do, again, want to thank Alana for joining us. It was great, as always. Love having you on, Alana. Yeah, thank you, Alana. Aww, thank awesome. you so much for having me, you guys. You oh, awesome. Always great pleasure. having you. You are the yeah. you are a progressively horrified all-star. For real. Friend of the show. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. The flesh. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured The Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily, along with special guest Alana Levin. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.